0: Welcome back, humans. For today's episode, I am going to continue a little study on vocation discernment. My last discussion on vocation discernment was called Vocation Discernment Diaries, and that was my own experience. That was me talking about what I have learned through my own discernment of my vocation. In today's episode, we're going to talk about Mary, about the mother of God, Holy Mary, Holy Virgin, Blessed Virgin Mary. That's who we're talking about today. And we're talking about her vocation discernment. Now, if that strikes you as a little strange, how would I know anything about her vocation discernment? Just set that aside, I ask you. And listen. We are going to focus on two books. One of them is the Gospel of Luke. The Announcement of the Birth of Jesus, or the Annunciation, and the other is a book called The Life of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and it is a collection of visions by Anne Catherine Emmerich. She was a mystic and visionary. She had all these visions uh, explaining different parts of Mary's life to her, and they are compiled in this book that was published by St. Benedict Press Classics. So I'm going to begin with that book, The Life of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and I'm going to read a little section to you that explains St. Joachim and Anne, Mary's parents, and the first child they had before they had Mary. And it reads like this, the first child born to Anna in her father's house was a daughter, but she was not the child of promise. The signs which had been predicted were not present at her birth, which was attended by some trouble. I saw that Anna, when with child, was distressed about her servants. One of her maidservants had been led astray by a relation of Joachim. Anna, in great dismay at this infringement of the strict discipline of her house, reproached her somewhat severely for her fault and the maidservant took her misfortune so to heart that she was delivered prematurely of a stillborn child. Anna was inconsolable over this, fearing that it was her fault, with the result that her child was also born too soon. Her daughter, however, did not die. Since this child had not the signs of the promise and was born too early, Anna looked upon this as a punishment of God, and was greatly distressed at what she believed to be her own sin. She had, however, great joy in her newborn little daughter, who was called Maria. She was a dear, good, gentle child, and I always saw her growing up rather strong and fat. Her parents were fond of her, but they felt some uneasiness and distress, because they realized that she was not the expected holy fruit of their union. They therefore did penance and lived in continence for a long time. Afterwards, Anna remained barren, which she looked upon as the result of her having sinned and so redoubled all her good works. I saw her often by herself in earnest prayer. I saw, too, how they often lived apart from each other, gave alms, and sent sacrifices to the temple. So I'm going to pause there and explain a little things, unpack this a little bit. So Anna is Mary's mother, and she is pregnant at the same time as one of her maidservants. And the maidservant is led astray, she tells us. We don't know what she did, but apparently Anna's not happy with what she did. And so she punishes her for it. It says she uh, reproached her somewhat severely. And because the maidservant is then so distressed about this, she gives birth too early, but the child dies. Or, and the child dies. And so Anna then feels guilty about this. She feels responsible. She feels like, if I hadn't been so harsh toward her then maybe she wouldn't have had a stillborn child and so then anna is so stressed out about this and ends up having the child she's pregnant with born too early as well but her child named maria doesn't die however they had been expecting a child that was uh the promise, the child of the promise, and certain signs would come with this child's birth, and they don't see that with this one. So they say, "Okay, she's not the child we had been expecting or had been promised to us." So then they start to believe that God is punishing them. They didn't get the child they were promised, Anna feels guilty about being harsh toward her maidservant, so there's a lot of stress going on. So then they start praying, they start offering sacrifices and Anna ends up not being able to conceive again. She's, quote, barren. She's infertile. She doesn't have another child. And this just furthers the distress. So, to continue reading, Anna and Joachim had lived with Anna's father, Eliud, for some seven years, as I could see by the age of their first child. When they decided to separate from their parents and settle in a house with land in the neighborhood of Nazareth that had come to them from Joachim's parents. So they're moving. There they intended in seclusion to begin their married life anew and to bring down God's blessing on their union by a way of life more pleasing to him. I saw this decision being taken in, being taken in the family, and I saw Anna's parents making the arrangements for their children's new home. They divided their flocks and herds, setting apart for their children oxen, asses, and sheep, all much bigger than we have at home. That's a side note. All the household goods, crockery, and clothes were packed packed upon asses and oxen, standing before the door. All the good people were so clever at packing the things up, and the beasts so intelligent in the way they took their loads and carried them off. We are not nearly so clever in packing things into carts as these people were in loading them onto beasts." She's on another side note there. They had beautiful household things. All the vessels were more delicate than nowadays, as if each had been made by the craftsmen with special love and intention. I watched them packing the fragile jugs, decorated with beautiful ornamentation. They filled them with moss, wrapped more moss around them, and made them fast to both ends of a strap, so that they hung over the animals' backs, which were covered with bundles of colored rugs and garments. I saw them, too, packing up costly rugs, heavily embroidered with gold, and the parents gave their departing children a heavy little lump and a pouch, no doubt a piece of precious metal. So she was telling you, they're packing up their stuff, and they're moving. When everything was ready, the manservants and maidservants joined the procession and drove the flocks and herds and the beasts of burden before them to the new home, which was some five or six hours journey distant. I think it had belonged to Joachim's parents. After Anna and Joachim had taken leave of all friends and servants, with thanks and admonitions, they left their former home with much emotion and with good resolutions. Anna's mother was no longer alive, but I saw that the parents accompanied the couple to their new home. Perhaps and had married again, or perhaps it was only Joachim's parents who were there. So we're going to skip some of this. Their new home lay in a pleasant, hilly country. It was surrounded by meadows and trees and was one and a half hours, or a good hour, to the west of Nazareth, on a height between the Valley of Nazareth and the Valley of Zebulun. A ravine with an avenue of terebinth trees led led from the house in the direction of Nazareth. I'm going to skip a little bit down. She says that... uh, Okay, so she's she's describing the place they live in, and then she says, I now saw the holy couple, she's talking about Yoakim and Ann, I now saw the holy couple beginning an entirely new life here. It was their intention to offer to God all that was past, and to behave as though their marriage had only then taken place, endeavoring to live in a marriage pleasing to God, and thus to bring down upon them his blessing, which they so earnestly desired beyond all else. I saw both of them going amongst their flocks and herds and following the example of their parents, as I have described above, in dividing them into three portions between the temple, the poor, and themselves. The best and choicest portion was driven off to the temple. The poor were given the next best one, and the least good they kept for themselves. This they did with all their possessions. The house was quite spacious. They lived and slept in separate little rooms, where I saw them very often praying by themselves with great devotion, I saw them living in this way for a long time, giving generous alms, and each time they divided their herds and goods, I saw that everything quickly increased. Again, they lived very abstemiously, or abstem, abstemiously. Sorry, observing periods of self-denial and continence, I saw them praying in penitential garments, and I often saw Joachim kneeling in supplication to God when he was with his herds. Far away in the pastures. So Joachim and Anne, after experiencing all that trouble before and feeling that they were being punished for their d- mistakes and their lack of discretion, they decided to start a new life. And she keeps saying that they they practiced periods of self denial and continence. Which, in case you don't know what that means, think of it this way: where she says they were living in separate rooms. They were husband and wife, but they were living in separate rooms. They weren't sleeping in the same bed. They weren't having relations, if you like to say. They were doing all of this as a penance because they felt that they had offended God. So then, to continue the book, for 19 years after the birth of their first child, they lived thus devoutly before God in constant yearning for the gift of fruitfulness and with an increasing distress. So 19 years goes by. And they keep asking for another child. Nineteen years they asked for the child. In supplication, making sacrifices, earnest prayer, strong desire, for a whole nineteen years. And then finally, Anne is pregnant again with another child, who they also marry, or who they also name Mary, and there's a section in the book that's about the conception of the Blessed Virgin. Now that's a very long section that I'm not going to sit and read to you because it's not entirely relevant to this topic just gave you the backstory, which is relevant. So after reading this and then looking at the Gospel of Luke, where he describes what the angel Gabriel says to Mary, it dawned on me that Mary understood the fact of barrenness and how that is not a hindrance to God bringing about life. Let me explain that a little more. I'm sure that Mary had been told many times by her mother about this whole situation. You know, I was pregnant with your sister. All of this bad stuff happened. I got very angry. I was harsh toward this woman. Her child died. I felt so guilty. I felt that I had offended God. I felt that I was being punished. We had to move. We had to start a new life. And then it took at least 19, maybe, maybe 20 or more years before... Mary was conceived for their second Mary, the Mary she's talking to. It took around 20 years for them to have another child. 20 years she spent without being able to conceive and how heavily that must have weighed on her and her conscience, but how she kept her faith in God and kept asking and kept making sacrifices and doing penance and all of that kind of stuff. So I imagine that Mary grew up with this story being repeated to her many times. And then also her mother telling her the tremendous joy that she experienced when Mary was conceived and born. And then they understood that she was the child of the promise. The child that had been promised to them. So the whole time Mary's growing up and she's hearing this, she ponders it in her heart and keeps it close to her. As you will see many times, When you read through the Gospels, especially Luke's Gospel, he explains to us that Mary kept these things in her heart and she pondered them. All the events that happened in Jesus' life, all the events that happened before he was born, it's constantly repeated to us that Mary kept these things in her heart and pondered them. And what that says to me especially, is that that's Mary's personality. She's very introspective. She's very, I don't know if you want to say introverted. She may have been. I think introspective is a better one. She just, she spends a lot of time reflecting on what happened and holding it close to her heart. Whatever the meaning of it, she gets out of it. She holds very close to her heart. She doesn't easily forget these things. She knows that they're very important and she reminds herself over and over and so when you see in the gospel of luke this is chapter one verse 26 in this uh what is it the new american bible new american bible translations verse 26 chapter one this whole angel gabriel appearing to mary and explaining things to her then he finishes this whole explanation with telling her about elizabeth your relative he says who also conceived a son in her old age and she was barren and so mary thinks about this and she she relates it to what her own mother experienced i can only imagine that's what she would have done she relates it to what her own mother experienced and gabriel knows this gabriel knows that all of her life mary has been pondering the concept of god allowing a person to wait for so long to have this child that they want god delaying the fulfillment of this and increasing their faith gabriel knew that mary had thought about this all of her life and so he's telling her look look here's elizabeth she was barren and now she has conceived a child. And then Gabriel says, for nothing will be impossible for God. That jumped out at me as that's something that Mary thought about many, many times. That very phrase, not just this concept, but that specific phrase, nothing is impossible for God. When Mary was the, a part of the group of temple virgins, you know, she was sent away to the temple to learn about her faith and her people. She was taught all of these historical events in the life of her people. And each one of them keeps relating the same thing. Nothing's impossible for God. Put your trust in God and nothing is impossible. And so Mary would have understood that as part of the history of her people. But on a deeper level, she would have understood it as part of the history of her own family. She herself was the fulfillment of her parents waiting and trusting, putting their faith in God and being taught that nothing is impossible for God. She herself was that fulfillment. So obviously that meant a lot to Mary, not just as, okay, this is the history of my people and I'm a part of this community and this group and it's a wonderful thing. And yes, I trust in God because I heard all these great stories about all these people in the past who had All these things done for them by this wonderful and glorious God. That's one thing. But for Mary, it was more than that. It was personal for her. Because she was a fulfillment, she was an answer, she was the revelation of God's faithfulness to his people in her person, in her own family life. She was that. So it wasn't something that she just saw from the outside, it was something that was part of her, something that she held so close in her heart, and it was how she understood her own life, her own position in this world, her own purpose, a vocation, if you if you like to call it that. That's how she understood it. So when Gabriel says this to her, he's not just explaining a concept that she, as a Jew, would understand. He's explaining this as something that she personally would relate to, and it would move her deeply. So when she asks him, you know, how is this going to be? How am I going to give birth to this child when I I don't have relations with a man? He relates it right back to what is already close to her heart, what he knows is close to her heart. Nothing is impossible for God. You saw your mother was barren, but now here you are. Look, you see, your relative Elizabeth was barren, but now she has a child. You know about all these other women in the history of your people who were, married, who were barren and gave birth, people like Sarah and Hannah in the Old Testament, he's relating it back to all of these things and then that one phrase that she held closest in her heart nothing is impossible for god and after he says this to her she then replies behold i am the handmaid of the lord may it be done to me according to your word with complete trust and resignation because the angel broke through to the core of mary to her understanding Of herself. You yourself... Are proof that nothing is impossible for God. Remember that. And relate that to what I am saying to you right now. Nothing is impossible for God. So... After all of this... After thinking through all of this... I realized that... That was Mary's own discernment. All of her life... She had understood that nothing was impossible for God, just looking at her own creation. And then she's discerning, what am I supposed to do now? I've already vowed my my virginity to God. I'm living with Joseph as my husband, but I've already vowed to be a virgin for my entire life. And then this angel shows up and he presents news to her that's troubling and confusing. But then he helps her to discern by striking right to the core of who she is, of her own understanding of who she is as a person. It's fascinating. And how this all came to me, I would have to say is just a gift of the Holy Spirit. It just all of a sudden it made sense. It made perfect sense to me. So connecting that to with what I said in my other episode where I talked about my own vocation discernment, I gave three main aspects of my discernment three things that i had learned and the third one i said was a good discernment of your vocation should involve you asking the question who am i who is this person god has created and i believe that that's what gabriel was conveying to mary she all her life had been discerning who am i i am the revelation of God's power. I am the revelation of this concept that nothing is impossible for God. I said she understood herself as being more than just a Jew, more than just a young woman, but as a fulfillment of God's promise to her mother and to her whole community. So I will reiterate that again. Any good discernment is going to involve asking that question, who am I? And understanding who you are as a person because a vocation is based on who you are as a person, not just what you're good at or what you're interested in or the uh, desires that God places on your heart. A lot of people like to use that phrase and I don't disagree with it, but that's not the only thing that a vocation is based on. It's not just these desires that God has placed on your heart or these skills that you have. Those are all part of it, but those are not the only thing. And really, from my perspective, the more important thing is the who are you. Because all of those desires you have and all of those things you're good at are part of who you are as a person. They are aspects of who you are as a person. When you take all those things into consideration... They are going to reveal who you are as a person. But they're not the only thing, if that's making sense. They're a part of it, but they're not it. You know, They're not the whole core. They're just one aspect. So Mary did that her whole life. She asked herself, who am I? Who is this person God has made? And the angel Gabriel, when he announces that she will be the mother of god he teases that out her her own discernment of who am i he sort of teases it out to help her understand what god was calling her to do now when i explained this in a class at my university one critique i was given was well that's extraordinary means though not all of us are going to have an angel appear to us to help us discern our vocation, which is true. It's not likely to happen to you, and it's never happened to me, but don't get caught up in that and miss the point. Okay, Yes, it's extraordinary means. But the point is, the point is, like I said earlier, who are you? Your vocation is bound up with who you are. That simple. Okay, so we're going to stop there this has become a long episode I'm going to stop talking and again wish you a happy Easter we're still in the Easter season we celebrate Easter for 6 whole weeks and I pray that our lady our mother blessed virgin Mary pray for you and help you to discern who you are who this person is who God created and what your vocation is